Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. This half-hour program will be one of the most important ones we ever do because we're talking about the most important doctrine or teaching of the Bible, the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is the doctrine that separates the men from the boys, the true Christian churches from the cults. Every true Christian denomination, Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, etc., believes in the Trinity. Every cult, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Unitarians, etc., deny the Trinity. So what we're going to do today, and please listen to the whole half hour, we're going to ask the question, what is the Trinity? In other words, who is God, and is the Trinity actually taught in the Bible? Before we get into this topic, let's take a moment to pray. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we would pray for anyone watching this program who does not yet know who you are, that your Holy Spirit would teach us now as we discuss this most important teaching of the Bible. God, we ask you to teach us now. Who are you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me say a few things first about the Trinity. The Trinity is not a human invention. No human would have made it up. Uh, this teaching that there's only one God, but in God are three equal and eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's too mind-boggling. <laughs> it doesn't make sense in a way. And if it made perfect sense, I would be suspicious that some man dreamed up the doctrine. But because the doctrine is so beyond our noodle, that helps me believe this thing must be from heaven. Uh, there's a saying, he who doubts the Trinity will lose his salvation. He who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. <laughs> so for 25 minutes or so, let's try to understand the Trinity. Uh, let me give you the definition. Here's the definition of the Trinity. God is one being, but he exists in three persons, each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being equally God and eternal. That's the definition of the Trinity. One God and three equal and eternal persons, the Father who made us, the Son who died for us, the Holy Spirit who lives within believers. Now the big question is, is the Trinity biblical? Because the Jehovah's Witnesses at your door will say, the word Trinity does not appear anywhere in the Bible. And the Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you the Trinity is a doctrine of the devil. Men dreamed up the doctrine. Are they right? Well, they're a little bit right. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. But I'm going to show you now the concept of the Trinity starts in Genesis chapter 1 and goes all the way through the book. In fact, I'm going to show you now how you can find the Trinity in the first paragraph of the Bible. Let me show you this. In the beginning, God created, that's God the Father, the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, was moving over the face of the waters, and God said, 
let there be light. Now look at God speaks things into existence. When he wants to make plants, he speaks them into Let there be cows. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse in the heaven. Everything God makes, he speaks into existence. And then we learn thousands of years later when John is writing John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything came into being through the Word of God. And the speaking of God, the expression of God, is Jesus. So we find in the very first paragraph of the Bible, God the Father creating things, the Holy Spirit moving over things, and the Son being the agent through whom the Father created things. He's the Word of God. You find the Trinity in the first paragraph of the Bible. Let me show you uh, some other places you see the Trinity. Right before Jesus goes to heaven, he says, Go ye therefore, disciples, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, now notice, in the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you notice something that looks funny about that verse? Wouldn't you suspect he'd say in the names plural of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? But he doesn't. He says names singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That points to the fact that there's only one God, but in God are three equal and eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can you think of a place in the Bible, a story, where all three persons of the Trinity show up at the same time. It doesn't happen often, but here's a time it does. In the baptism of Jesus, you see all three persons. Let me show you this. Here's a picture. Where do you see God the Father in that picture? He's the voice coming out of the cloud. Where do you see God the Son? He, of course, is Jesus getting baptized. Where do you see the Holy Spirit? You see that... Uh, uh, dove up in the upper left, that is the Holy Spirit. There we have one God in three persons showing up all at the same time. Now, if the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they will deny all this, and they will bring up problem passages. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus is Superman. He's a very good man. He's better than we are, but he's not God. They believe God the Father created Jesus at a point in time and that the Son is not eternal with the Father and the Spirit. So they'll bring up problem passages like this. Jesus said, I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And they'll say, see, Jesus is not equal to the Father. The Father is greater than Jesus. Well, now, wait a minute. Jesus said those words while he was in his human body. Jesus eternally was God, became a human, and for 33 years or so, limited himself to a human body. So when Jesus is saying, God the Father is greater than I, he meant it, that there's more to God than what you're seeing in me here. And while he was incarnate in flesh, the Father was greater than him. But you've got this, this passage that's a little more problematic. 1 Corinthians 15, When all things are subjected to Jesus, the Son, at the second coming, then the Son himself also will be subjected to him, God the Father, who put all things under him. In other words, at the very end of time, when everything is submitted to Jesus Christ at the last judgment, then Jesus will become subject to God the Father. And you might say, well, then that shows that, that the Father is more, more God than Jesus is. No, because, listen, subordinate does not mean inferior. Uh, for instance, the Bible says, wives, you're to submit yourselves to your husbands. Does that mean you, a woman, are any less a human than your husband is a human? No, men and women are equally human, but the way marriage works is the wife is to submit herself to the husband. And this is a, this is a subordination of relationship, not of nature. All three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are equally God, but this is called the economy of the Trinity. Just the way the Trinity works is the Son is always submitting himself to the Father. 
It's not a, a difference of nature. They're all three nat- by God nature. It's just one of relationship. Well, it took a while for the early church to study through the scriptures and to understand all this. And in the early, early church, there were things called heresies, false doctrines about God. Let me give you one. One of the heresies was called Sabellianism or modalism. Sibelius was a teacher in the 400s AD. He taught that the one God alternately chooses three different modes of expressing himself. Sibelianism says the three persons of the Trinity are merely the different manifestations of the one God which he assumes temporarily to achieve his purposes. Sometimes God appears as the Father, and then later he might be the Son for a while, and then for a while he'll be the Holy Spirit. And and, uh, what the early church taught was, no, God is eternally Father, eternally Son, eternally Holy Spirit. He doesn't become God the Father at 6 o'clock in the morning and then turn into God the Son for a few hours in the afternoon and then at midnight turn into the Holy Spirit. No, God is always, before the beginning of the world, God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for eternity. The early church condemned that heresy, but a much bigger heresy was this one. It's called Arianism. Arius was a bishop in the Christian church. He was born in 250 B.C. He died in 336. He taught, and this is the ancient version of Jehovah's Witness, he taught that the Son of God, Jesus, was not eternal with the Father and the Spirit, but that God the Father created Jesus. Thus Christ was not God by nature. And so there, and the, this, this heresy of Arianism spread all over the church, and it wasn't thrown out until 325 A.D. I'll get to that in a second. But let me just show you a picture of heresy. Here's this woman in the, in the middle is confused. Because upper left, here's a, uh, a person that is teaching. Now, this, this circle, the black circle represents God, like a circle has no beginning and no end, so God has no beginning and no end. And then the red arrows are God's attributes, his love, his mercy, his justice, his power. Well, some people think the hand, God the Father that created us with his hand, is, is one-third God, and that Jesus, kneeling there, being our servant, is one-third God, and then the dove, the Holy Spirit, is one-third God. One-third, that's not, it's not like a, God is not like a pie, that doesn't work. Upper right-hand corner, this is the uh, uh, the view of some, this is what the Muslims think. This heretic on the upper right thinks that there are three gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not one God, but three different gods. Muslims think Christians believe in three gods. We don't, but that's a heresy to say that we do. Upper left corner, this is Sabellianism, that God the Father is God the Father for a couple hours, then he turns into the Holy Spirit for a couple hours, then he turns into Jesus for a couple hours. The heresy on the bottom right is the heresy of Jehovah's Witnesses or Arians, which teach that only the Father is God, the Spirit is just a power, and Jesus is just kind of a superman. Those were some of the ancient heresies. Now let me tell you about what's called the victory of orthodoxy. In 325 A.D., the church council at Nicaea, over in Turkey, I believe, under the leadership of a man called Athanasius, condemned Arius and formulated what's called the Nicene Creed, upholding the Trinity and the divinity of Christ. In other words, the church was so split, and, and 
right down the middle on this, is Arius right or is Bishop Athanasius right? So the government gathered all the bishops in the Christian world, they met together in the Council of Nicaea, and they debated and they studied scriptures and they concluded the Bible teaches there's one God in three persons. The Bible teaches Jesus is God, Arius, and you're wrong. They came up in 325 with the summary of the biblical teaching of God called the Nicene Creed, which says this, and against Arius, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, eternally begotten of the Father. God, Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, Arius, being of one substance with the Father, by who all things were made. So in the Council of Nicaea, orthodoxy, which means proper belief, won, and heresy lost, and Christians for ever since have been clear that we believe in one God in three persons. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. Let's, let's focus down now on the next question. One day Jesus and the disciples were together and he turned and he asked the big question. He said, disciples, who do you say that I am? Now, uh, let, let me make a few points. Christianity stands or falls by who Jesus is. That's not true with Buddhism or Hinduism. I mean, if you tell a Buddhist, you know, we don't really think Buddha ever really existed. They'd say, who cares if he existed? It's the teaching of Buddhism that matters. But that's not true for Christianity. In Christianity, if Jesus didn't really live and exist, our whole religion falls apart. Another thing to say to the question of who, who do men say that I am? Christianity stands or falls by what Jesus did by historical acts. That, again, is not true of Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, you know, Buddhism doesn't care if you show that Buddhism is a myth, because, again, all that matters is the teaching. But in Christianity, if Jesus didn't literally become human, die on a cross to pay for our sins, live the perfect life we couldn't, if he didn't literally rise from the dead, our whole religion is a sham. Uh, St. Paul says, look, if Christ is not dead, raised from the dead, we are all of most men to be pitied because we're duped. So Christianity has to be a historical religion. If historical things didn't happen, we're not saved. Now, have you ever heard what's called the modern day good man evasion to the question of who is Jesus. Have you ever heard people say, well, I don't believe Jesus is God or anything. Oh, but I think he was a good man. That doesn't work. <laughs> Let me tell you what to say to those people. This is, you say, look, either Jesus is the Lord, he's either who he said he was, or he's a liar, or he's a nut but he's not a good man. Good men don't go around claiming to be God. And I'm going to quote my favorite C.S. Lewis quote here. Look at these words. C.S. Lewis, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. <laughs> Do you get the point there? I mean, if I tell you I am God, Either I am God or I'm a nut, but in no sense am I just a nice man. No. You have to take Jesus for who he said he was or he's crazy.
So let's answer the question. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is God. How do we know that? We know that by what he did. Think of the things that Jesus did that only God can do. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus had the authority to judge people. Jesus had power over nature. He could control the weather. Uh, Jesus had power over the devil. Only God is more powerful than the devil. And Jesus had power to cast devils out. Jesus had power over death. He could raise people from the dead. Only God has that kind of power. And Jesus accepted worship. When people started worshiping Jesus, he accepted it. When the Jehovah's Witnesses are at my door, I point them to John chapter 20, verse 28, where Thomas, at, when he sees Jesus alive from the dead, it says Thomas falls to his knees and says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't say, whoa, Thomas, did you just make a mistake? I'm not God. Get up. He says, no, Thomas, you should have believed it without seeing it. So he accepted worship. So we know Jesus is God by the kinds of things he could do. We also know Jesus is God by what he said. For instance, he said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus also said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Now just imagine the, the, what he, the audacity of that claim. If I as a pastor got in my pulpit on Sunday and said to my people, if you've seen Pastor Brock, you've seen God. But you want to stone me and they'd be right. When Jesus said those kinds of things, people believed him. Uh, so by what he said. Another, way, uh, another thing Jesus said to the Jews, before Abraham was born... I am. And again, the Jews pick up stones to throw at him. Why? Because Abraham was born 2000 BC, and Jesus is claiming to be pre existent to Abraham. In other words, Jesus, this is a veiled claim of Jesus that I am the eternal God. And the Jews picked up stones to throw at him because Jesus made himself equal with God. John 5.18. So Jesus claims to be God, and, and you might say, well, all right, he might claim it, but how do we know he was telling the truth? Well, because his claims are verifiable. Let me show you some things that will help you believe Jesus is God. Not that he was just saying it, but there's some reason to believe it. His character. You know, even atheists will attest to the character of Jesus Christ. Even people that have no interest in God, when they read the Gospels, they, they will attest that Jesus was a man of pure character. His works, the things he did, the, 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 for instance, the miracles, help me believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And do you know that the Jewish Talmud, written about 130 A.D., even the Jewish Talmud admits Jesus did miracles. It says he did them by the power of the devil. It doesn't like him. But they cannot deny that Jesus did miracles because too many people were still around that had witnessed or had heard from the eyewitnesses of what Jesus had done, the miraculous uh, acts. Another reason I believe Jesus claimed to be God is because for 2,000 years, he's been changing lives. No one has changed more human lives than the one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Also, I think just his teaching about God, ethics, virtues, those things help me believe that Jesus is God. And another thing that helps me believe he is God, his posthumous, that means his after-death influence on our planet, I would maintain 
the greatest force for good ever in the history of our world was Jesus Christ. He founded this church that has founded more hospitals, fed more hungry, clothed more naked, taught more school. I mean, more schools have been founded, orphanages have been founded, hospitals have been founded in the name of Jesus Christ than any other movement. And yeah, you can point to the Crusades and you can point to the Inquisition. There are some dark spots in, in church history, but overwhelmingly, no institution has done the good on this planet that the Christian church has done. I would say that attests to the fact that Jesus is who he said he was, and this is not all built on some lie. Well, but does the Bible teach that Jesus is God? Again, Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you it doesn't, but I'm going to show you just three of the greatest Christological passages in the New Testament. Three, it's easy to remember. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. So if the Jehovah's Witnesses ring your doorbell, turn to Colossians chapter 1, John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's look at, at John chapter 1. I'm not going to read the verses, but read them on your own. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It teaches that Jesus is the preexistent word. He's the one through whom God created the world. He spoke everything into existence, and that speaking was Jesus. It actually says Jesus is God in John 1, 1 and 2. It says Jesus is the agent of creation, the one through whom God the Father made everything. And then it says the word and God became flesh, that he became a human being. That is the teaching of John chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 teaches that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Again, Jesus is the one through whom the creation came about. Jesus is before all things. Jesus didn't start existing. He's eternally God with the Father. Jesus sustains all things. And notice how clear it gets. It says, all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. Then you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1, where it again says Jesus is the one through whom the world was created. Well, who, who created the world? God did, so Jesus must be God. Jesus has the very stamp of God's nature. He upholds the universe. And you have something interesting in verse 8 of Hebrews 1. You have God the Father calling Jesus God. Here's the verse. Of the Son, he, God the Father, says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And I could take you to other places too. Here's another one. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself, came down to earth, became a human. That's, uh, I'm just scratching the surface, but there are a number of places that teach the deity of, of Jesus. So the next question then, if Jesus is God, is he a man? And I'll ask that of my confirmation students, and they'll say, no, no, he's God. But no, he is a man. Here's the next teaching. Jesus Christ is man. We know that he really became a man because he got hungry. He got thirsty. He wept. He slept. He was flesh and blood. He, he was, quote, like his brethren in every respect except without sin. In other words, the only difference between Jesus and you and I is that he never sinned. But other than that, he was totally human. He burped. He had to go to the bathroom. He wept. Everything you and I do except sin, Jesus did. And we have to maintain he really became a man because for us men to be saved, he had to pay for men's sins. So, you can't, so in other words, he wasn't just what's called a theophany. A theophany is an, like God appeared as a, the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove, but he's not a dove. God the Father appeared as a burning bush, but he's not a burning bush. Well, Jesus didn't just appear as a man. It wasn't a theophany. Jesus actually was 
a man. So let's put it all together. Here's what the church teaches. Here's what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. He is fully God and he is fully man. All right, so just follow this. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist for eternity. God the Son comes down and becomes a human for about 33 years, and then he goes back to heaven. So the last question is, what is Jesus now? Well, he's still God, as he has been for eternity, but is he still a man up in heaven? You know, he is. He's still a man, though a glorified man. Because when he comes down in the clouds at the second coming, he's not going to look like a horse. He's going to look like a man. So he's, he's a glorified man. He's still the God-man. And, and you might ask, well, what, what is Jesus doing up in heaven right now? Well, he's sitting at God's right hand. That means he has the... If you went to a party back in the first century, if you sat at the, the right hand of the host, that meant you were the guest of honor. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. That means Jesus has more honor than anyone in the universe. Also, Jesus is up there praying for us. He's interceding for us. If any man sins, we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father up in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. Also says Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, and he's been preparing it for 2,000 years, so that's going to be quite the place up there. <laughs> so let's put all this together. Here's what we believe about Jesus Christ, if we can see the picture here. Again, the circle is the symbol for God. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, next to the left. The, the dove. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Number two, born of the Virgin Mary. Number three, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Number four, crucified, dead. And number five, buried. Now, he, number six, he uh, ascended into heaven. Number seven, and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from when he shall come to judge the sheep from the goats, separate the sheep from the goats, judge the, the uh, living and the dead. That is who Jesus is. I want to thank Harry Went for those illustrations, but let me just, just close with this. If you are hearing this for the first time, and this is the first time you've ever heard that Jesus is God. I mean, I've been a Lutheran pastor a long time now, 25 years, and now and then an 85-year-old Lutheran who's been in church all his life will say, what do you mean Jesus is God? I thought he was the Son of God. And I'll say, well, he is the Son of God, but he's also God the Son. He's eternal with the Father and the Spirit. One God, three persons. Read to yourself Romans chapter 1, excuse me, John chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 1, and you will discover who Jesus is and who the glorious Trinity is. Let us pray. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you and we pray that people that are in cults will be saved out of them and those that are Christians will be strengthened now in this beautiful teaching of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.